Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. You know that feeling when you walk into your home? Take a deep breath. And feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Coming up on You Need Therapy. From the perspective of, of somebody who loves an addict, how do you help and not enable? I think the first most important thing is to understand addiction mm-hmm. yourself. Whatever that means for you to be like, oh, I think I get it. I think I get why people struggle with this. Why, how a person could get to such a place in their life. Like, I think I get what it means to not have control over your behavior. I started to realize that not being an expert isn't a liability. It's a real gift. If we don't know something about ourselves at this point in our life, it's probably because it's uncomfortable to know. If you can die before you die, then you can really live. There's a wisdom at death's door. I thought I was insane. Yeah. And I didn't know what to do because there was no internet. I don't know, man. I'm like, I feel like everything is hard. Hey, y'all. My name is Kat. I'm a human first and a licensed therapist second. And right now, I'm inviting you into conversations that I hope encourage you to become more curious and less judgmental about yourself, others, and the world around you. Welcome to You Need Therapy. Hi, guys, and welcome back to another episode of You Need Therapy podcast. My name is Kat, and I'm here for the second week in a row with Tara. Hello. Hi. And we are going back to what we started last week when we started talking about addiction, and we're going to round out this two-part series from the perspective of more of a clinician and a therapist to let's talk about the experience of loving an addict or somebody who is struggling with some kind of addiction and how to do that in a way that is 
helpful and healthy for us and that person. And if you listen to last week's episode, you might have noticed a theme that there are not a lot of black and white answers that we can give you. Welcome to being alive. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to this whole <laughs> podcast. <laughs> no, what's funny is like, I always go back to if you have a really good therapist, very often they're not going to answer a lot of your questions and they're going to answer your question with a question. And it is hard. I will say sometimes I'm just like, Oh, I want to say this. It's hard. And I have learned that it's not very helpful when we tell you things that often are opinions that might not translate to your experience. So I just want to preface this conversation with you might be getting answers that feel almost open-ended Yeah, and you can do some exploring of your own with that. And I think that's really helpful because what I just said, we're all different humans. We're going to have different experiences. And so what works for one person might not necessarily be the best answer or situation for another. So I had asked you guys to send questions. We used some of those for last week and then some of them for this week, I will say there was an overwhelming majority of you that basically asked the same question. So I kind of want to start with that and then we'll work our way down. Does that work for you? Sounds good. Okay. And if you don't know who Tara is, I'm just going to encourage you to go listen to the other episode first because we talk about our experience working with addiction. And I think it's really helpful from a trust standpoint, especially when there's so much content and information out there that honestly, I want you to go listen to that and I want you to do some digging and that can be a little bit of research of why you would even want to listen to what we have to say. And the short of that is that Tara works in this field and has for a long time. What did you say? Exposure is the best. What is it that you said last time? Yeah, maybe it's like the best way to learn. Way to learn. Yeah. Is to be exposed. Yeah. And we both have been exposed to this in different ways. And that's not to say that we're the holy grail. So nope. please don't take what I just said as that. I'm willing to be wrong And I'm willing to change my mind too, because the stuff shifts as we get more information and we're exposed to more of it. So let's start with the overwhelming majority of what you guys really wanted to know in this subject matter is, can you be in a healthy relationship with somebody who is struggling with addiction? And if so, how? (laughs) it's just like the biggest question ever I know it's so big the first thought that came to my mind in this was you can be a healthy person in a relationship with a sick person which would mean like I can still manage my own health and wellness and how I do that is the question. Okay. And be in a relationship with someone who is not wholly healthy. Can the relationship be healthy? I think that pieces of it can and pieces of it can't. can't. Okay. It's like any untreated issue in a relationship. If someone just, you know, isn't yeah. doing the work on that and it has a lot of negative effects on their life, it's going, if we're sharing a life in any way, whatever pieces of our life we share and that happens to have a negative effect on that shared experience, then I'm going to also experience that. And let's not in that answer confuse can I with should I? That's right. And do I want to? That's right. Those are actually questions that I don't know that I can answer. Yeah, I think, you know, some of the sort of like 
what I like to try to offer like guiding post to be able to have some way that you can explore this sort of question with guides Mm -hmm. (laughs) rather than just like distrust your gut you know like (laughs) that's in there that would be one of the guiding posts but it wouldn't be all of them to lean on and so I think asking myself like how much of my own health and wellness can I keep can I hold on to can I keep grounded and solid in my life in my closeness or my distance with this person in the condition that they're in and that's where it's different for every person it's different depending on the space I'm in in my life or the stuff that I have going on or what aspects of life we share can I be emotionally well can I be who I want to be yeah can I honestly be my self I think the honest part is really important it might take you a while to get there but how much of me do I have to repress or push away or shift in a way that doesn't feel true for me to stay in this relationship. Is that worth it? Yeah. I mean, so I I gave a different intro in the last episode because it was relevant to that side of the street, but an intro that feels relevant to these set of questions is that I have known lots of people I love very closely and intimately who have active addictions while been in relationship with them. So that's really in large part where a lot of my initial answers are going to come from is like being a person who's had to navigate that personally, not just professionally. And then, of course, sitting with people as clients who are trying to navigate this in their lives with other addicts. So what's interesting is when we first started thinking about doing this episode, I immediately had the thought of partner. And this answer could be different if this is my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, my uncle, my my best friend, my friend, my coworker. Do you have any feedback on the differences that how those answers shift? Because it's different to be married or in a long-term relationship with somebody than like, this is your mom or this is, yeah, my sibling, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's different if you're a parent and your child is an addict. I mean, it gets really complicated when you think about the differences. Yeah, if you're married and you have children and you share a house and it becomes a very different conversation when you sort through all those realities. And so I think it is really having to be as honest with the reality of your life, with what your options are and your resources are and what limitations you have. Like, you know, I think... being well being truthful and honest like there's a spectrum of those things and we can't always reach our highest potential at them because life might be creating barriers Mm -hmm. for us to do that and we have to negotiate with well this would be me feeling my most free and honest would be to completely leave the relationship and there are certain things that are preventing that that I'll lose that I don't yet know how to navigate Mm. losing that mean I'm not going to be able to set that kind of a boundary yet. But yeah, it's hard to think specifically about those different dynamics. I mean, I think you have to just be asking yourself, hopefully with help and feedback, what do I most need right now? Similar to like the sort of 12 step mantra of doing like a one day at a time, next right thing Mm -hmm. and letting that maybe lead you to the bigger, you know, what's the bigger solution or where does this live? But there's just a lot of in between and there's a lot of gray. And I think it's really possible to have some kind of connection 
to someone who is sick and it be really messy. Like for me personally, the journey with my brother and his addiction over like 10 years, that changed. Mm -hmm. What a healthy relationship looked like with him for me changed over the course of those years at different times, depending on where I was and where he was. And some of those times, I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to manage all the feelings that came with seeing him or talking to him or interacting with him and still be able to see him and hug him and let him know I loved him in person. I didn't know how to do that at certain points. And then later at other points, I could do that. I just could, I could manage it. I could hold some of the pain that I would be confronted with. And I wanted to be able to hug him and see him because I could also hold that. And so I think the complexity of that might offer a little bit of insight into how it changes Mm -hmm. and it can exist in some capacity, but there certainly were always boundaries. I think that maybe is a key factor is like if someone is sick and their disease might be getting on me and might be affecting my life, how am I most keeping that protected? Mm Or nurturing it if I'm gonna if it's gonna be like exposed to that. Yeah, the, it's not just a flippant. I can do it today. I can't do it tomorrow, tomorrow or whatever. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. So something that came up a lot too was the the question around like, how do I know when to end a relationship? Or how do I know, I think the word that most people use was how do I know when to leave a relationship? So 
what would you say to somebody? Cause you kind of answered this and what you just said, but is there a way to kind of like summarize how to tap into the, the knowledge of, do I have the ability to be in this right now or do I not? I can't imagine people can figure these things out by themselves. You know, like I wasn't able to figure this stuff out by myself. If you have a relationship like this, where you're asking any of these questions, you love this person. So like that's there and that's really hard. (laughs) And so to navigate loving a person having a a long-term or a lifelong, a family, whatever relationship with them, and then try to figure out that. I just think you've got to have help. You know, what's so hard is we talked last week about the compassion involved and understanding somebody is sick. I think that gets in the way. Mm -hmm. This makes me so emotional and it's so different when you're the clinician and when you're the you're the loved one or you're, that's your loved one. It is so different. And I want you guys listening to this because what when you said, I can't imagine being able to figure that out on my own. Let's say you're somebody who works in mental health. I know a lot of therapists listen to this podcast. We cannot do therapy on ourselves. We can't turn both of those brains on at the same time. And so I say that with to offer yourself so much compassion in this because I am aware and I'm acknowledging that this person is sick and it's where we use that analogy of somebody with cancer in a lot of these arguments. You can't really use that here that often because there has to be a line in in the sand that's drawn. It is different. It is different. It's a good analogy. It's not exact. Yes. It's a comparison. It's not equal. And the place that people can find themselves in that's that can be not helpful is, well, they're sick. So they didn't meet. We can make excuses. Right. We can justify it. And you resist truth in some areas. Yes. And that's where, you know, people can stay stuck in a situation that is harmful to them because they know this isn't who this person really is because I know the other part of them. They're not just the sick, angry, whatever acting out person. There's this whole other part of them that's their heart and yeah. their truest self. And I love that. And I still get glimpses of that or whatever mm-hmm. that looks like. And so it isn't as simple as just seeing, you know, it, it, there is a both and. And mm-hmm. I think you have to kind of ask yourself like, what I think you can start small. What are the boundaries that I can start to implement that help me feel a little bit safer from their disease behavior? Like if you're drinking at home, I'm not coming home. Yeah. Or something like, yes, I'm not leaving. I'm not moving out, but I won't be there. I won't be there. You said last week, something like, is their disease getting on me? Which is, is what you can use this. If cancer was contagious, would you just walk into a room without anything on? That's right. Kind of yeah. like COVID. A, yes. like, if you They're, have COVID, I'm not going in your room. Yeah. I don't hate you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I actually really love you and I hope you get better. Yeah. And I also can't help you at all if I'm also sick. Yeah, I think that was something that came up in the whole idea of like, what kind of relationship can you have if you're trying to be well and someone is staying sick, yeah, it's a limited one. It, yeah. Whatever version of it is, it's going to be limited by that thing. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the pro and con list I have to make. Yeah. Which is a, a conversation that comes up so often when, I mean, whether they're friends of mine or, or clients, it's the same kind of conversation of, well, yeah, you can be in this. You can totally be in this. 
I don't know that you'll have that, this thing that you're talking about, but you can be in this. So it's a decision you have to make. It's limited. So like, yeah, you can, you can stay in relationship with a person who has COVID in that forever, that will never be not contagious. That's not a thing I hope, but you won't ever be able to be in the room with them. So it's limited. Yeah. To make the choice. Yeah. Like, it's that easy. So one of the questions that I got that I'm actually going to read verbatim, I found to be very interesting. And granted, this was one of those question boxes on Instagram. So they didn't, they weren't able to write a lot. So I don't know if this was, this was written like this because of that. But I think some people might be able to relate to this. And I think there's so much in it. But one of the questions was, how do I be a good wife and stay married to a functioning alcoholic? So many things to dissect. One, we didn't talk about this last time, but functioning alcoholic. What does that mean? It probably means that they are doing most of the essentials in their life are still being able to be completed. Mm-hmm. That's generally like, yeah. I still Go have to work. I'm not losing my job. Yeah. I'm not, bl- you know, blowing up the house. Mm-hmm. I can do the essentials mm-hmm. and complete them. Mm-hmm. Now that may not mean like the value of those, it's like the I'm, quality of those yeah. things are very likely to some degree affected, but nonetheless, I'm, I'm there, but am I actually present? Sure. Kind of thing. So also good wife. <laughs> so my, my laughter is almost like this uncomfortable. What does that mean? This feels like one of those questions that was like planted from the 1950s almost. I know. I'm going to do a therapist thing with okay. this. I just can't help but like when I hear this, what comes to mind in the context of this conversation, there's this phrase in addiction world, addiction is a family disease, mm. meaning everyone who is in direct relationship with it will be infected as we were just talking mm-hmm. about to some degree. So I think it is linked to what we were saying yeah. in the sense of even the ideology that you will develop being in relationship with someone, especially that close of a relationship with someone who has any kind of unhealth that's untreated psychologically, behaviorally, then you start to sort of like try to morph yourself into that, right? It's like, how do I work in the context of this sort of dysfunctional thing? How to fit into the system. That's the survival way, right? Like, oh, okay. So if, you know, my dad rages at uh, when he gets home from work, then like, I just try to stay gone until it's bedtime. How, how do you be a good kid? Yeah, I'll good be daughter. good and I won't make any noise and I'll clean my room really good. Like I'm going to morph myself into the context of this because this is the environment that I'm in and mm-hmm. I can't change it. And so I really, f- I have actually like deep compassion mm-hmm. for, it feels like this trying to fit yourself into something like trying to square a circle yeah. that you know that there's something off about the way that it's going because it makes you feel off and it makes you question yourself mm-hmm. and feel like, well, maybe there's something I'm not doing right yeah, because that's the place I have control. And so I'll just keep shifting my focus back to me and I think in a lot of ways, these sort of questions come out of a place of like trying to sort of fix the problem for the person or trying to make a dysfunctional or uncomfortable situation more comfortable or more functional. Honestly, I'm so glad you said that because if I interchange the two people in this Mm -hmm. sentence, it feels very different. So if I would say, how do I be a good mom? 
when my daughter's struggling with addiction? How am I a good dad when my brother's struggling with addiction? It feels very different. I think the wife thing is interesting. Yeah. But what you just said is that's what it is, is I try to fit into the system versus like remind myself and sit in the truth that this system is not a one that I think I need to fit into. Yeah. And what you're, what I was, that was so helpful for you to talk about like good mom to my son, who's an addict, because I, we're like judging the good wife thing a little bit yeah. from the 21st century no, I, you yeah, know what I mean? feminist world yeah. of like, you ain't gotta be a good wife, you know, like do <laughs> but you like, girl? Also, like I do want to be one. <laughs> yes. And, and what is because that when the I, language? When, if someone said, I want to be a good mom, I would have less judgment about right, 100%. it. hundred percent. So I think it's rooted in the same yeah. desire, which is like, I want to be loving yes. to whoever this person is. If we even make it as simple as that. And maybe there's other stuff that is, is not healthy yeah. in the, good phrase of of any of the relationship but if we boiled it down to well I still want to love and care about this person I don't I'm not going to throw them out of my life because they're my kid or they're my spouse and that's just how I feel about them like it's an unconditional love then how do I do that while they're still in this behavior that is disruptive or not healthy so does it fit for anybody who related to that question for whoever wrote that, does it fit to, to shift the language and say, how do I love my partner? Well, yeah. How do I love my son? Well, that feels so different. It feels really different. It might be more true. Yeah. I think it's actually more helpful to the person, yeah. right? Because if I can think about how can I show love, then I'm probably going to come up with some different, different answers. And I think loving people might like it lets us expand that. Yeah. Like it doesn't mean I have to do X. I have to cook you dinner. That's or I right. have to give you money or I have to show up at this X, Y, Z. So I'm glad I, that we read that one. Okay. What would you say to somebody who is struggling with how to build trust back in a relationship with somebody who is, I mean, I think this can be different if the person's in active addiction or has gained some kind of sobriety right yeah I'm just assuming they mean yes yeah, they've yeah. like are addressing the problem yeah. they're getting better they're not using or doing that behavior anymore and they're trying to rebuild the relation the trust in a relationship after mm-hmm. it's been damaged by that I'm assuming that the addict is the one saying I build trust back do I'm we, assuming it's uh somebody who how do I trust my my how do I loved trust one them again, again? yeah who might have lied, stole, cheated. Yep. We, uh, yep. I mean, <laughs> classic. classic yeah. ones. <laughs> it's interesting to think about it from that side because I actually first was thinking about like how do addicts build trust back? That's interesting that you thought that and mm-hmm. I d- did not think that. Yeah, but I, I, I think I most often sit, I, j- I sat for so long with addicts asking them that question. Yeah. Like how do I get people to, to trust, trust me, me again? again? You know, and it's really hard. I think these questions kind of can go to the both, both sides of the relationship or the answer that I, that I wrote or thought about. So if, if I'm in a relationship with someone and I'm trying to trust them again, I mean, I think the first thing that comes to mind is like, it has a lot to do with what that person is doing. So I think transparency is mm-hmm. comes to mind. Just like, are we open about it? Do we talk about it? In a way that is appropriate for the relationship, right? Like we, you want to try to stay out of like keeping dibs and being mm-hmm. the mom of people's stuff because those roles don't go well with people that really any that are personal in personal relationships, mm-hmm. which is why they want to have help outside of outside of you for that, mm-hmm. whether it's a therapist or a friend or a sponsor or whatever. 
But transparency, like, am I talking about my own fears, my own challenges, like where I'm at? Do mm-hmm. you, or am I trying to tell you that I'm better when I'm not? When people don't struggle at all. Oh. So it's like, oh, I fixed it, but I never have a thought or I never have to, I don't know, call my sponsor. I never like have things I need to work through. It's, it, I think that's a something that I, I imagine comes up a lot from the perspective of the addict of, well, I can't share these things because then they won't trust me. Yes. They'll think I'm not. But the secrecy is the part that is actually makes it hard for to trust you. Yeah. And I was thinking like transparency on both sides. Yeah. Am I as the person who's in the relationship talking about where I'm at? Yeah. Like the doubts that I have, my fears that I have, like, or am I trying to sit on that and just like, well, I think I get over that because they're better now, you know, did I, or if I bring that up, they're going to trigger them and they're going (laughs) to, yes. If I tell them that I went through their phone, which like, yeah, we're going to, the thing is when people go, especially when people go to therapy and they work on an issue and then they're like, okay, I've got it together. I'm going to go now. It doesn't even have to be addiction. It is rare if ever that that stuff doesn't pop back up at some point, that those natural behaviors don't come up and you don't have to use a skill or a tool to convince yourself and help yourself not engage in something that no longer serves you. That is a red flag for me on both sides. Yeah. If I never suspect something, one, maybe you should. Yeah. <laughs> and two, if I never have an urge, like for eating disorders, when I have clients that come in, I'm like, how was the week? And they're like, it was so perfect. Everything went awesome. And I'm like, this is very confusing because yeah. last week you perched four times. So yeah. tell me about this. You never had a thought like what? Yeah. To me, that is maybe this client isn't comfortable enough yet. There's something going on here because it's hard to believe that that would happen. Mm-hmm. But if they were to say, you know, every day I fought tooth and nail, I almost called you 15 times, but I didn't. And I perched once. I have this immediate like, okay, I'm starting to build that trust with that person. Yeah. I'm also thinking about reconciliation Mm. and amends processing, which shouldn't really happen in the beginning. Like people need to get stable and like kind of understand themselves and have confronted those things separately before they bring those to you. But I think about like what would build trust with me with someone who had violated that trust before would be that they could take accountability for those things that we could actually sit down and like and talk about it and how it you know felt to be on the other side or what are boundaries that I need in place until you show me and I can start to rebuild the trust that you are not in that place and that you won't make those take those actions anymore so I think those are things that come to mind. And so reconciling, addressing it, like the harms that have been done, not just trying to move on past it. Mm -hmm. I think for both sides, that's Mm -hmm. super important. Combined with time. All this combined with time. The building of trust isn't like we decided this and now we do it. You can't flip a switch. No. (laughs) It was just something I think people want to bypass. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, 
you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Another big thing, and we've touched on this, but we didn't exactly answer it. From the perspective of, of somebody who loves an addict, how do you help and not enable? I think the first most important thing is to understand addiction mm-hmm. yourself whatever that means for you to be like oh I think I get it I think I get why people struggle with this why how a person could get to such a place in their life like I think I get what it means to not have control over your behavior that I think is one of the most helpful things you can do to be in relationship with an addict whether they're using or not mm-hmm. is to develop your own understanding of what addiction is, to educate yourself, to expose yourself to the world um, of recovery and addiction, that stands out to me the most. I think something that comes to my mind when I hear that question is there's a difference in helping somebody and healing them, like rescuing them, saving them, and something that has been very difficult, even on the clinician side, is to realize that oftentimes when we are helping somebody, we're planting a seed that might not bloom or pop up from the ground for years. And when I take on that perspective, it helps me not overstep my own personal boundaries and go into that rescuer mode that actually hurts both of us. Yeah. I think the other thing that came to mind is maybe helps you distinguish which of those you're in. Like, am I in enabling or rescuing mm-hmm. or am I in supportive helping support is a, I think a helpful word. Supportive is an important word. I'm mm-hmm. glad you said that. I think it, we, we have a different idea of what it means to be a support versus even like help yeah. or rescue or nurture, but it is unique to each of us, right? Because it has a lot to do with like your own, capabilities your own resources your own lines your own limitations I think about like really listening to your own reactions to things like am I anxious when I'm helping (laughs) react you know Mm -hmm. am I feeling guilty am I feeling fearful 
Mm-hmm. If I'm in that kind of like sort of emotional activated sort of space in myself where there's something bubbling in me and I just am like, okay, I'll come do that for you. Or yeah. let me, let me tell you, here's a meeting or l- like, let's just take a minute or don't do that. Or let me take you over here. Like we could feel that there's something unsettled in us that wants to do, we're, to, we're just doing something with that by trying to get the other person to do something. Helping myself. Yeah. Uh, That's usually where we're in the enabling, rescuing territory. One of the most helpful things I heard, I want to say this was from Amanda Elkin said this to me when I was activated. She said their chaos is not your emergency. And that has been a life changer. Again, not just as a therapist, like in my personal life, when I notice myself being like, I have to drop everything. Sometimes that's what you do. Your friend is broken down on the side of the road. They're stranded. They ran out of gas. Yeah, I'm going to stop playing this game and I'm going to go. Now, let's say it's the 17th time they've run out of gas in that same spot. It's a little different. And that has moved from, oh, this fluke accident to this is this chaos that I create in my life. I'm not helping them at this point. I'm just helping them realize that they can keep doing this. All right. So this I found to be a very interesting question as well. And I've been in this space many of times. Should we be sober with the people who are recovering? Or can I have a drink or smoke weed or shop or whatever in front of this person when I'm with this person? If I go to dinner with a friend who's sober, can I order a glass of wine? I think it's so great if anybody even thinks of this when they know that people have these issues in their Mm -hmm. life, because I will say most people don't. I think most people don't think about changing their own behavior. Mm. I think we think about other people figuring it out, Mm -hmm. you know, figuring out how to cope with the world as the world is. Mm -hmm. And so I want to first applaud the person who asked this question and, and being considerate in that way and thinking outside of yourself. I think that you've got to have conversations with those people. And that's the only way to know, because honestly, everyone has a different answer and it has a lot to do with depending on where they are and what's going on in your specific relationship to them. So I think if you know that this is an issue for them, then you're probably close enough to have this conversation Mm because most people don't just share about that with everybody. And there's two pieces. I think it's their job to tell you what they're comfortable with because you can't know. And I think it's okay for you to have your own comfort about it. Yeah. Like even if they were to say, I'm okay with it, but just, you just felt like I want to honor joining this person. I want to be a space where they can hang out and this can be a dinner where nobody's drinking and they just get to have that. I think that's okay too. I love that. You using that, I want to honor no matter where somebody is in their journey, but I want to honor that this has been something that you are working on. Mm-hmm. It might not be a big deal for you, but I want you to know that this matters to me. Yeah. And I think, I mean, again, like it, people can be reading between a lot of lines. Yeah. Like if I never talked about it and I just never ordered a drink after they got sober and I used to, and they know I do when I go out with all my other, they might feel like you're tippy toeing around yeah. them and that might not feel super respectful, but if I mean everybody's job is to talk about what's going yeah, on inside okay their own heads to too. Yeah. So if you're able to say like, yeah, no, I'd actually like enjoy just not having a drink tonight with you. Like I appreciate the space to be able to do that in my life too. 
that's a way to make it not a big thing, but mm-hmm. to also honor, because I think it is an incredibly, I, I don't even want to use the word. I, I think it's more than disciplined when people maintain sobriety and the world around us is not doing that mm-hmm. to such a high degree that it is here in America. But like, I think it's a really integrity, integral <laughs> integrity. That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> way to live like to live in the world and so to say like I actually have a lot of respect for this and I'm not going to be sober for the rest of my life like that's not my calling but I appreciate that there's a space that I can kind of step into honoring that and Mm -hmm. experiencing a bit of that or whatever then I I think it's a there's a lot of respect to be given Mm -hmm. to people who are doing that and so I think that's an opportunity that isn't maybe so obvious and then it's just a matter of like, yeah, where is that person at? Can they be in really close relationship with people who drink regularly? And then they have to be honest about that. And yeah. you have to figure out where are you at? Like, is that something that you are ready to navigate in your life along with that person? And sometimes you might be and yeah. sometimes you might not. Or you might be able to figure out a lot of in-betweens of these certain spaces we do these certain spaces we don't goes with the theme of it's not black and white and a right or wrong and it's not one person's responsibility yeah what do you think about this idea that somebody struggled with let's say pain medication but drinks or somebody who drinks who who struggled with drinking who now maybe smokes weed what do you think about i'm sober from my old drug of choice can I start using something else? I think it's interesting thinking about this coming from a loved one, like from someone who's watching someone else, yeah. because I'm like, well, it's kind of not your business. Like <laughs> it's like their business. <laughs> like I know we, I, I know it affects us yeah. and it might be affecting you in yeah. some way that they are doing that. And, yeah. but we might've talked a little bit about this in the like addiction episode, because yeah. I think it in its truest form, it falls into that category of like, feel you know most addicts are the ones that are having to ask that question of themselves and this may be a sort of caution of like am I trying to know things for someone else am I trying to you know make it right or okay when mm-hmm. it's you know or make myself feel better about somebody else's issue it's my ca- the chaos coming yeah yeah like I, I see this and I'm foreseeing this being a problem and I need to know the answer so I can either help them or how can I be a good wife yeah do, and a yes. functioning alcohol it feels like a little similar in that way where the lines are blurred because we're affected in the relationship by that thing that we try to have an understanding of like what's the right way to do it so that way I know how to posture myself in it but from my experience, most people who have struggled with a significant substance addiction have had a really hard time managing any substance use in their life. Mm-hmm. That's the statement I'll put out there. Mm-hmm. And th- I have met people who have been able to do that in ways that have not appeared to be dysfunctional or damaging in their lives. From what you were able to see. From what I could see and yeah. what I knew. Yeah. yeah. So. I, I mean, of course it's possible yeah. and there are outliers, but it's not the majority of what you see with addiction, especially substances, because in a lot of ways, what's happening neurologically and chemically is so similar with different substances, even though there are small variations mm-hmm. and the, also the psychological piece of like what it means to reach for something outside of me that is chemical 
to manage things inside of me that are stressful, which is usually what's happening. Even with, I mean, that's what most of us are using mm-hmm. any kind of food or whatever for. Mm-hmm. It's like it does help regulate something that's hard. That is really hard for that um, sort of neuropathway, that experience of this is what that means for us. Oh, we're here. We're back in that way of doing life, that way of managing hard things, that way of celebrating. It's hard for all of those memories that's when they've been at such a high to severe level to just not get activated. Mm-hmm. And probably depending on the severity of those substances and of the addiction, that can vary. Well, and what's coming up for me as I think about, well, that's why these process addictions come up so often is because they are oftentimes things that are not demonized in culture and sometimes idealized like working out that is something that like an exercise addiction is something that a lot of people cannot wrap their heads around because like it's like I'm taking care of my health and the same with orthorexia and when this gets into the disordered eating it's like well now I'm I'm actually doing something good for me but if we're not consistently actually paying attention and attacking the root of a lot of this stuff we're just going to flip-flop and move from thing to thing now can we control and be like the policing if other people are doing this no that's that's much bigger than us and again chaos that does not belong to us and at the same time I think I'm saying this really for anybody who's like oh well, I stopped doing this but now I'm doing this but I can't not do it well let's just pay attention to is that thing also turning into something that maybe at a different level has not affected us yet and doesn't seem as scary yet. But man, have I seen exercise addictions threaten people's lives. And man, have I seen people getting on their wellness journey turn into somebody who actually has to be in a hospital because they can't eat anymore. So switching one thing to another, what you're saying is we're still medicating that dysfunction and that disease in the brain rather than treating it head on. Yeah, and I will say... Self-medicating. If, yeah, if you've had a substance addiction, then you also have a sensitivity to that being yeah. problematic. Like, there's also just that kind of likelihood, right? Like, if you have had an eating disorder, then exercise is probably going to be difficult yeah. for you to... Like, there are just links mm-hmm. that make things more sensitive for us to manage. And some people are able to do that and it's not problematic. I believe that is a true statement. Mm-hmm. And so I like I don't want to throw that everyone who was an alcoholic and now smokes weed every once in a while yeah. has a huge issue and and is still an active addiction in their lives. That's not a fair Well, it's yeah, statement. It's, it's not because I'm speaking from my personal experience of I'm somebody who heavily overexercised and really struggled with that and did I have to do a lot of in-between work to get to this place? Yes. And do I have to continuously hold myself accountable and probably divulge more information about my actions than I want to have to? Yes. But I was somebody who was addicted to and could not not do and was actually hurting my body to now I learned how to be able to do that in a way that is helpful. And it's one of those, it's like one of those things you can't, I mean, you can, but you can't like really not exercise, but maybe I'm doing it a different way. Maybe I'm doing different types of things and maybe I have to take some space away from the certain type of exercise that I did before. But I think it is important that we can't, it's not black and white. So we and can't. If, 
you're the loved one and you're trying you're trying to kind of understand what feels healthy and what feels unhealthy with what I see this person yeah. doing then I think the question that is the same it's revert go back to question one yeah. of this episode where yeah. we talk about how is it affecting me and the health of the relationship yeah and does that feel doable to me yeah is that a kind of relationship that it, or is it having is it bleeding in into some kind of realm of unhealth in the relationship where I'm not feeling like this is there are dysfunctional things or there are problematic things that are likely or potentially coming out of this place yeah that's how I need to assess it as yeah. the person outside of it which is a beautiful first full circle to close this out all right so if you guys enjoyed this episode that one makes me very happy and two if you have any feedback questions thoughts concerns please send them to us you can always email me katherine at you need therapy podcast.com follow the podcast at you need therapy podcast and at cat dot defada on instagram and thank you tara for spending not one but two hours helping get this information out there which Again, going back to why I even started this, I was talking about this with somebody the other day. This podcast I started because I started thinking about how many things I know about and talk about every day. Like I could go to dinner with you and we could talk about this and it would almost, it would feel normal, right? But that's not something that happens really in the world. And I forget that because this is the world I, I live in. And just like somebody who might start an accounting podcast, it's like they talk about it all the time, but I have no idea what this means. And so I'm just grateful that one, there's people that are getting something out of this and find it valuable because I don't know if I would be inclined to know about all this stuff if I didn't have to starting because of my job. Right. Yeah. And I'm just grateful that people want to hear this. And I'm grateful that there's people like you who are like, yeah, I'll take two hours and I'll share some of this with people. So you're welcome. There's a quote from Al-Anon that I thought would be a great little maybe ending to the okay. loved one yeah. episode. And Al-Anon is an, a resource that I would recommend everyone use if you're in relationship with anyone who's struggling with addiction, because that's what the whole group is for. It's to support you in that. Mm -hmm. But it says it's kind of a hopeful little message for those people in that space. In Al-Anon, we discover that no situation is really hopeless and that it is possible for us to find contentment and even happiness, whether the addict is still using or not. Oh, isn't that beautiful? It is. And it feels counterintuitive. I know. And it's true. Yeah. So for those people like, can I be in the relationship? People, if you go to Al-Anon there, people are in there who are happy mm -hmm. and content and peaceful and Which are what is Al-Anon? Because so many, I wouldn't have known what that is. So what is that? Al-Anon is a 12-step group that was a sort of spin, shoot off from AA when it first started. It was the second A, I think, was Al-Anon is a um, 12-step group, support group, similar to AA, but it's for anyone who knows someone who has an addiction. So all of you are welcome. <laughs> That's right. Everybody. And I started going to those meetings when I started as a therapist because it helping helped. professionals who work with addicts oh my god let them go because it's hard oh. to be in that kind of relationship with someone who's sick yeah. and struggling so yeah so it can be professional and personal that's right so thank you and next week we have a special surprise i'm not going to say too much but it is it happened just naturally how 
which I'm so grateful for and reminds me that there are powers greater than me out in the world because I wouldn't have set this up. But we have a third perspective when it comes to addiction and that's coming next week. And that is that of the addict, which I don't think I have ever had that conversation on the podcast, which is very surprising to me. So I'm really excited about that. And I will tease this. This is somebody that I didn't know this person well. I was friends with his um, wife. And when I tell you, no idea what was going on. No idea, which is so helpful to remember because we never know what's going on. And it's so easy to judge somebody having a good life or a perfect life by what we are seeing on whether it's social media or really face to face. So I'm really excited to have the conversation next week. And I'm excited for you guys to hear it as a good rounding out of this whole series. So I will talk to you guys. I'll talk to you on Wednesday, but then I'll talk to you again on Monday with this next episode. Until then, I hope you have the day you need to have. And that's it. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, You can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that, he is... And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.